Once notice is given Blair that there is a fee or a charge on a mortgage loan, can the debtor or the trustee challenge those fees or notices? Most certainly. So they have up to a one year to file an objection to that notice of the fees. So if any objection is filed, the court's going to decide if the amount of due is owing under the terms of the note and mortgage and applicable bankruptcy law. So just the act of filing it is not going to make it. That's set in stone there. It's owed. If it is challenged, the bankruptcy judge is going to make a determination on that. Welcome to Banking on Credit Unions, your leading law podcast dedicated to credit union matters. Hosted by Jim Sorensen from the elite team at SVL Law, where they specialize in collections, bankruptcy, and foreclosure law designed for credit unions. From landmark cases to innovative legal strategies, Banking on Credit Unions podcast is here to shine a light on the legal pathways impacting your credit union. If you want to uncover legal insights designed just for you, listen and join the conversation. Let's get started. Hello, listening audience. I'm Jim Sorensen, and I want to welcome you to Banking on Credit Unions, our podcast that we do here at Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm. I'm your host, and this week we're going to be discussing proposed amendments to the federal bankruptcy rules, in particular a proposed change to Rule 3002.1. Joining me today on the show is Blair, heads up our bankruptcy area of the law firm. And Blair, I want to go ahead and welcome you to the show. Thanks, Jim. Always great being here. I always love get a chance to sit down and talk some bankruptcy and credit unions. Well, good. So we have kind of a technical talk today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into some technical aspects of Chapter 13s and mortgages. But before we do that, just trying to give our audience a better understanding of who we are, I thought I would start out by asking you to share something about yourself that not a lot of people know about you. Sure. So born and raised here in Tallahassee. I've been here my whole life. I actually started out of law school. I worked at the public defender's office for seven years. So I was the court-appointed attorney for anyone who was arrested and couldn't afford their own attorney. So had a lot of very interesting and memorable cases, but I'm very glad to be working here with you now, and I don't miss those days at all. Yeah, quite different now, yes. what you're dealing with. Tyler maybe kind of gets into that sometimes, but, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. So... Let's go ahead and kind of jump into our topic at hand. We're talking about a proposed rule change, and there are several rule changes that are proposed, but we're focusing here today on one specific rule change that will have some impact on our clients if this does pass. And back in June of last year, the Judicial Conference Committee on Rules of Practice and Procedure, they proposed amendments to several of the rules that govern federal courts. So some of the rule changes involve appellate rules, some of the rule changes involve civil procedure rules, and then we've got some proposed changes to the federal bankruptcy procedure rules, and that's where we're focusing. And this rule, obviously, the federal bankruptcy rules are rules that apply in federal bankruptcy court. And we're going to be looking at rule, the proposed changes to Rule 3002.1. But before we get into what's proposed to be changed, I think we need to kind of give the listening audience an overview of this rule and what this rule currently covers and addresses. Yeah, of course. So 
Rule 3002.1, title of this is Notice Relating to Claims Secured by Security Interest in the Debtor's Principal Residence. So from the title of it, it, this applies to mortgage loans that are secured by the debtor's principal residence or home. So this is only in a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, so we're not going to see these in Chapter 7s. And what it applies when the 13 plan provides that either the trustee or the debtor will make the installment payments on the loan. So any like direct payments from the debtor or you're getting your payments from the trustee. So it does not apply if they're surrendering their home in the, the Chapter 13 plan. So what it does though is it requires notice of any payment change on a mortgage loan. And then it also requires notice of any fees, expenses, and charges <coughs> incurred on the mortgage during that period. And as well as it sets up a process for determination that at the end of the Chapter 13 case, that all payments and amounts owed have been paid on the mortgage, except for future installment payments due that are coming due after the bankruptcy case ends. So this rule, of course, came into effect after the housing crisis. Some of the issues that came out of the housing crisis and all of the bankruptcies that were filed dealing with defaulted mortgage loans. And one of the reoccurring issues, and probably more so with the big servicers than smaller servicers like most of our credit union clients, yep. was confusion about what actually was owed, what had been paid, what hadn't been paid, how funds had been applied during the bankruptcy. And what was happening was people were completing their Chapter 13s, thinking they had cured and paid everything due on the mortgage up to not including future payments. And then they would find out that there were late fees owed or there was a missed payment or there was a property tax amount owed or a property assessment or homeowner's dues or whatever. could mm -hmm. be all sorts of things. And so when this rule was adopted and implemented, this rule was aimed at trying to clarify some of those issues. Sure. And this rule has been in effect for a while. And there are some issues with complying with this rule, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to make sure the audience kind of knows the background. And I think you gave a good summary of the rule. But let's kind of dive into the existing rule a little bit further. Can you give us just a more of a breakdown sure. and walk us through the payment change, how the rule currently works on yeah, payment Yeah, so this changes. is current. So this isn't talking about the proposed changes. We'll get into those in just a little bit. So currently, any holder of a mortgage subject to the rule must serve on the debtor's attorney and the trustee notice of any change in the payment amount no later than 21 days before the new payment is due. So most of the time what this is going to be is there's changes due to escrow coming in or the interest rate changes. So those are the ones that you see this most often. But it does apply to both closed-end mortgages and the open-end mortgages like a HELOC. If you fail to do that and fail to timely notice of a payment change, that means the payment change is not enforceable. The court will not recognize that and will not enforce this new payment that has come due based on whatever the circumstances were. And so and it does allow the debtor or the trustee to object to the payment change. If there is an objection, it's going to go before the judge, and the judge will decide whether or not the payment change is proper and enforceable under the note and mortgage and bankruptcy law. So one of the issues with this current rule, the way it is, is that 21-day notice requirement on a payment change, especially when it comes to a HELOC loan. Now, with your annual escrow 
you just have to know, okay, we've got to do the escrow analysis in such a time period in order to provide a 21-day notice to the parties. And as long as the mortgage servicing department at the credit union is doing everything timely, that really isn't that hard to comply with. Yeah. And that's the most likely change. You can also have changes on an adjustable rate mortgage, a closed-in adjustable rate mortgage. You might have changes to payments. But the big one is HELOCs because if the HELOC is in an interest-only period and the interest could vary month to month depending on the balance, if the balance has changed, if there was a principal payment paid, whatever has impacted that, maybe the interest rate has gone up or down. And so a lot of clients have struggled with complying with that 21-day rule, and we'll get into it in a second about how the amendment tries to address that. The current rule does provide the out that you can ask the court to shorten the 21 days, but that is something you have to do case by case. Yep. So there's an expense there, obviously, because we would have to, as the credit union's lawyer, file a motion to shorten that period, mm -hmm. and having to do that in every case can be problematic, or at least not the ideal result. So the new rule, or the amendment to the rule that's proposed, suggests a change to that. We'll get into that in a second, but I did want to point that out, yep. because a lot Thank of people you. struggle with, how do we do that when it comes to HELOCs? Most certainly. And of course, a lot of our credit union clients do a lot of HELOC lending. Especially this day and age. Now, fortunately, most of our clients, their mortgage loans aren't in default, so we're not seeing <laughs> a lot of bankruptcies with delinquent mortgages. Yep. This is something that probably a lot of clients have forgotten and don't necessarily, this isn't a day-to-day -day thing they're dealing with. And so probably going over this rule is a good reminder of those issues and those things so yep. that they have to comply with. So... What about the current rule as it deals with the notice for fees, expenses, and charges? How does that work under the current rule? Yep. So this currently, it applies to any fees, expenses, and charges that are incurred after the bankruptcy filing and that the mortgage holder asserts that are such fees are recoverable against the debtor or the mortgage property. So most of the time, these are going to be late fees. It's going to be the credit union had to pay the property taxes that came due. Insurance, there's that the credit union had to put on the property. Those are the fees that we normally see in this type of situation. But the notice of these fees must be served 180 days after the date on which the fees, expenses, or charges incurred. And I think, again, this is another one of those that is hard for the client to sometimes comply with and remember to do this. Mm. I think sometimes the reason this is hard is because usually in a credit union, the mortgage servicing area is handling these issues, but you've got the collections department, in particular the person over bankruptcy, who has to keep up with yes. this. And sometimes there's not a clear mechanism or process for that communication to happen. Yes. And so sometimes we see our clients missing that 180 days. Mm -hmm. What we do in our office, maybe not obviously, but what we do in our office is we will check with the client every so often to make sure that any fees that have incurred, we report those on yep. the required notice. That can be helpful for credit unions to have a lawyer who does that for them. That is certainly something we do. You can obviously do it internally with an internal 
calendaring program or, mm. or in internal tasks, reminders to check the mortgage for any fees or expenses or charges and make sure those are reported. Once notice is given Blair that there is a fee or a charge on a mortgage loan, can the debtor or the trustee challenge those fees or notices? Most certainly. So they have up to a one year to file an objection to that notice of the fees. So if any objection is filed, the court's going to decide if the amount it due is owing under the terms of the note and mortgage and applicable bankruptcy law. So just the act of filing it is not going to make it that's set in stone and there it's owed. If, if it is challenged, the bankruptcy judge is going to make a determination on that. And what happens if the mortgage holder fails to give notice within the 180 days? There's a late charge, there's a property inspection fee, whatever the fee or expense sure. is, it's been incurred, but the credit union, the mortgage holder fails to give notice. What happens at that point? You're out of luck, man. <laughs> so the fee's not enforceable. The court's not gonna, they're gonna rule that amount is not enforceable, cannot be charged to the debtor or the mortgage property. The worst one I can remember is someone property taxes for three years and they had $5,000 worth of property taxes and we get the notice from the trustee at the end, hey, they've made their payments. Like, well, no, they owe us five, $5,000 on XYZ. When, well, you never told us about this. When we sent out the notice, you're not going to get that money back. And it's the court's going to rule that it is not enforceable. So that amount gets discharged and cannot be collected Correct. or enforced against the debtor or the debtor's property. Correct. Yeah. Tough lesson there. So these are some hard and fast rules. And they're, and they're really not an exception to missing the timeline. Yep. You either do it on time or you're out of luck. Yep. So as you also mentioned, the current rule, the way the rule's set up right now. It also has a process for determining at the end of the case, at the end of the Chapter 13 case, whether there's any amount still due and owing to cure the default on the mortgage. How does this currently work? So currently under the rule, within 30 days of the debtor completing all the payments under the plan, the trustee was required to file and served on the holder of the mortgage claim a notice stating that the debtor has paid in full the amounts required to cure any defaults in payments under the mortgage. So that's both pre-petition defaults and any defaults that might have occurred during the Chapter 13 case. Once that notice is sent by the trustee, the holder of the mortgage has 21 days to object if it believes that no, there's still something, some amounts due and owing. If an objection is filed, again, the court's going to resolve this dispute. Evidence is going to be put in by both sides. You'll have some testimony in the court's going to decide what, if anything, is still due and owing. And if you fail to object within 21 days, it's going to result in an order that the mortgage is no longer in default, that in, the only thing that's owed at this point is all any future payments that are owed underneath the, under the mortgage. So again, these deadlines are strict yep. and can be harsh, as you pointed out, in the case of a client who paid three years of taxes and then wasn't able to collect them. So great summary, Blair. Do you like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Head on over to svllaw.com and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Now back to the show. Now let's kind of turn to what are they proposing to change? So what are the, what are kind of the proposed changes to the rule that's, that we're looking at now? Sure. The proposed changes is change to the notice in the payment amount. 
So for HELOC, the proposed rule now allows for the notice of payment change to be made annually instead of 21 days prior to the due date. There's going to be a new process where the debtor or trustee may at any time during the pending Chapter 13 seek a determination of any mortgage claim secured by the debtor's principal residence. The amendment changes the process for the end-of-case notice. They're going to now call it the trustee's end-of-case notice of payments made. It's going to change giving the trustee what will have now 45 days instead of the 30 I said just a second ago to send the notice out and extends the time for the holder of the mortgage. So extends it from 28 days instead of 21 to object. There are some other changes in there that are minor and mostly stylistic, but those are the meat of the changes that are going to be important to, to our clients. It is interesting as an aside how sometimes they try to identify these notices. Right now under the rule, the last notice the trustee sends out is called the Notice of Final Cure Payment, yep. which is really a misnomer and not a good title for it because in most cases there is no payment due. So the new name, which is probably better, but still maybe could be more clear, <laughs> is trustee's end of case notice of payments made. Again, I think I would say trustee's notice that mortgage has been paid in full or trustee's notice that there's still a balance due and owing and they yeah. have a different notice yep. depending on the condition. But no one asked me <laughs> and I'm not going to take the time to submit a public comment on that. But let's talk about the proposed changes sure. as it relates to payment changes on a HELOC. Can you kind of walk us through what is now going to, if this passes and becomes final changes to the rule, what will be an annual notice instead of the 21-day prior notice? Yep. And so these are, again, for payments on a HELOC. So the annual payment notice will be filed within one year of the bankruptcy filing and then yearly thereafter. The notice must contain the payment amount due for the month when the notice is filed, the reconciliation amount for any overpayment or underpayment during the prior year, the amount of the next payment due, which is at least 21 days after that annual notice, which must be increased or decreased by the reconciliation amount, and then the effective date of the new payment. So in other words, the date of the new payment, the amount of the new payment, which will take effect on the first payment due after that payment, which includes the reconciliation amount. It's a lot. That's a mouthful there. <laughs> Let me see if I can help the audience yep. understand this by giving an example. And obviously my example is going to use simple round numbers. We know that this is never how it works nope. in the real mortgage world. But for sake of trying to give an example, I'm gonna, I'm gonna simplify it. So let's say we have a HELOC loan with a monthly payment that is $500 a month when the case is filed in the Chapter 13 case is filed on March 15th of 2023. So the HELOC payments are due on the 10th of the month. So in this example, the next HELOC payment due after the bankruptcy is filed would be April 10th of 2023. Let's say that in October 10th of 2023, the payment increases from $500 a month to $540 a month. On March 1st, 2024, the annual notice gets filed with the court. Now, the rule says within a year, meaning it can be done sooner. So in this example, I'm saying the mortgage holder is filing the notice on March 1st, 2024, instead yep. of waiting to March 14th. 
and the annual notice when it's filed, it's going to show as follows. It's going to show the payment amount for March 10th of 2024 is still going to be $500 because there's not enough time to yep. change that amount because there is a requirement that there be a 21, 21 day days. still mm -hmm. to the amount changing. So the payment that is going to be immediately due after this notice is March 10th, and it's still at $500, the original amount. The payment for April 10th, which is the next payment due, will include what's called the reconciliation amount. Well, the reconciliation amount is the amount that is due to the lender, to the mortgage holder, for the payment change that took effect back in October. So under my example, if you come forward through the March payment, October, November, December, January, February, March, that's six payments. So six times 40 is $240. $240 is the reconciliation yep. amount. So the payment that is now due on April 10th will be the new payment of 540 plus the reconciliation amount of 240 resulting in a one-time payment of $780. That then brings the HELOC current at yep. that point. Yep. And then the payment for May 10th, 2024 is $540. So all of this, if this rule change happens, there's gonna be a new form yep. that corresponds where this information would be listed. But that is how it's going to work. In my opinion, that is a great change to the process because mm -hmm. it does allow for the payment to technically change on October 10th, but doesn't require the, the mortgage next. holder to send notice days prior to that, which yep. is probably ineffective and not able to be done. And it doesn't result in them losing one month of the increased payment. And so it just delays the increase or delays the money that the creditor is going to collect towards that increased payment yep. until that annual notice is filed, and then you have these three series of payments. The old payment, this new payment, plus the reconciliation amount, and then moving forward, the reconciliation amount, or payment, payment amount. Yep. And then, of course, if there's another payment change in October again of 2024, then when the next annual notice is done, say, March 1st again, they would do the same disclosures yep. all over again. So that is how it'll play out. Now, of course, you could, in my example, do the annual notice sooner. You could have done the annual notice in November of 2023. It's just you have to do it at least annually. Yes. So once a year. You can certainly do it more frequently. So, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out mm -hmm. for the changes as we move forward. These amendments to these rules are right now in the public comment period. So technically, and I referred to this earlier, people are allowed to go make public comments and say, we think this makes sense or we don't think this makes sense for the public comments to really have the ability to potentially sway an outcome. They have to be well thought out, reasoned under the law and what's happening in bankruptcy court. What's interesting, when I looked at some of the background on this, a lot of trustees didn't want the change. A lot of Chapter 13 trustees didn't want to make the change. I think that's why there's some concessions in here, giving them more time, kind of changing a few things around. Probably the biggest thing that it showed when I read through this, and maybe you saw this too, Blair, is the trustees didn't like the fact that the debtor could at any point just go in and ask for 
a determination of what's owed under the 13 because that requires more work from the trustee. Yes, it does. We'll see how often that happens. Sure. I think with most servicers and most debtors, that isn't going to happen a lot. That does require more work of a debtor's attorney. Mm. And as we know in a Chapter yeah. 13, the debtor's attorneys don't always like doing extra work. Yep. I mean, they're, what they get paid their for, model is to not do extra work yep. so that they don't dilute their fee. And so I think unless you have a, a concern for the way a servicer is handling the mortgage, that probably won't be an issue. But we'll have to see where this goes. Sure. And my assumption, just so the listening audience knows, where it goes from here after the comment period, the Standing Rules Committee is going to make a final determination. If they approve it, it then goes to the Judicial Conference for approval. Normally, the Judicial Conference does agree with the Standing Committee. It is, there is a chance that a change could be made or they could reject it, but I don't see that happening. And then the final approval goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. Obviously, these are court rules. Ultimately, the U.S. Supreme Court's got to sign off on it. But again, normally the U.S. Supreme Court is not going to get into the weeds on these by the, if it passes <laughs> those first two. Unless there's just something strange, the Supreme Court's probably going to, I don't want to say rubber stamp it, but they're going to approve it. Yeah. And so, you know, best guess at this point is these rules will take effect sometime late in 2024. A lot of times we see these rules take effect on December 1st of the year. That wouldn't surprise me here if everything can happen timely. Yeah. We're still in February right now as mm -hmm. we record this podcast and talk about it. So that's not surprising. And so, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. If these rules pass, Blair, what's our plan to keep our clients informed as we move forward. Obviously, we always, with the podcast, with our newsletter we send out, we do lunch and learns as well. We always try to keep our clients updated with as soon as possible with any changes in the law, be it rule changes like this or some case law that comes out, a new case ruling that greatly affects or the way we practice and affects the credit union. We'll definitely get something out immediately and an email blast to, to let everyone know what the changes are and what the requirements are for the credit union. So I know we'll be looking forward to your public comment, right, on yeah. the, the rules. So I will add to what Blair said. We do, if you're not familiar listening to this podcast and you're not familiar, we do an annual conference every year yep. for, our, for credit unions. It's not just for our clients. We call it the Source Expo this year. It's in Tampa. It's in July. If you want information on that, you can get that by going to our website, www.svllaw.com, and you can get more information there, register get details. If you're interested in being on our mailing list and you're not, you can also do that by going to the website. That will make sure that you're aware of other things we do. Blair mentioned the Lunch and Learns in our newsletter. If you want to make sure you get these podcasts where we talk about it, then hit the like or subscribe yep, button subscribe. depending on which platform you listen to. And of course, we would appreciate any feedback you provide us on yep. these podcasts. How can we do a better job? How can we help you and educate you? And so any feedback you want to give us is greatly appreciated for all of us here at uh, SVL Law. So with that, I want to go ahead and close out. Blair, thank you for joining uh, me today. My pleasure. Thank you, Jim. So, and hope we educated some people out there and didn't scare them off too bad about bankruptcy and mortgages. Yep. 
So everyone have a good day, and we hope you'll join us next week on Banking on Credit Unions. Thanks for joining us this week on Banking on Credit Unions. Make sure to visit our website, www.svllaw.com forward slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. When it comes to credit union law, the Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm has you covered. Reach out to us at svllaw.com because every credit union deserves top legal representation. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.